I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow. Mark Hutchings is a retired professor. He lives in Utah with his wife in a community of dedicated outdoor enthusiasts. With his new life and free time, he pursues the Western States Native Trout Challenge. His experience and education makes this episode a college-level credit for all of you. I will sign off on that. I encourage you to take notes and map out the trout species, native ranges, habitats, and more. I was fascinated by the way Mark spoke of the states, the fishes, locations, ranges, and many more minute details with minimal to no notes. I hope you find his adventure as fascinating as I do. If you want to support this show, please visit my Etsy site. It's linked in all of my social media and website pages. You can purchase logoed beer koozies that you wear around your neck. You can purchase some funky fly patterns as well. There's even some fly tying kits. Thanks so much and enjoy this episode. All right, Mark, before we get into who you are, is there a celebrity people ever say you look like so people can picture you while we're talking? A long time ago, people used to say that I looked a lot like Steve Martin. I see it 20 now. Years, 20 years ago, people would say, are you related to Steve Martin? And I, of course, would say no. <laughs> so you're two silver-haired interviews in a row. Last was Craig Matthews. He said, "Oh, people recognize me just from my silver hair." Oh, but yeah, I can see it now. Yeah. All right. And what are you doing in Northern Virginia this weekend? Well, this weekend I came to visit my son and my daughter-in-law and their three children. Uh, my son uh, works for uh, he, he's a part owner in Focal Point Homes, a construction company that builds uh, large homes in the. In the Virginia, in the Northern Virginia area, sometimes we call them dink houses. Dink houses. Double income, no kids. That's right. That's right. Dual, uh, dual income professionals and other uh, people who make lots of money. Yeah, there's. A, I don't know how people heat some of the houses around here. They're yeah. enormous, or how they air condition them. It's. Uh, they, they build very nice homes. I think their average home is close to two million dollars and they do about 30 of them a year or so my goodness well it's a good thing we got him out fishing today so he didn't have to swing a hammer yeah all right yeah. so you're here it's the springtime we're gonna hopefully hook more fish tomorrow yes we hope we do yeah we're gonna go a little further south um 
Kevin Kosar was down below us spin fishing. Apparently, he got a couple hickories. Oh. But that was spin fishing, so okay. you can get deeper and further. So who knows? Well, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. It should be fun. Yeah. So let's talk about your life in fishing. You live in Utah. I live in Utah. I'm from Provo, Utah. I'm, I'm living in Provo, Utah. I grew up in Northern California. Um, I've been uh, in Provo, Utah for the last 30 years. And I taught at Brigham Young University for 28 years, retired about two years ago. All right. More time to fish. Sometimes, see the yeah. Grandkids. I talk more about fishing than I actually fish, <laughs> although I get accused of fishing a lot. So what got you into fishing? Um, I grew up in a family where my father was an out- outdoorsman. Uh, he grew up in Utah, and I hunted with him and fished with him when I was a little boy, well, all the way through until he passed away, and about Probably about uh, close to 20 years ago, I took up fly fishing. I, I bow hunted more than anything else. And about uh, almost 20 years ago, I took up fly fishing, took a class at the university, and enjoyed the fly fishing. So now uh, fly fishing is, is my, I think without a doubt, is my favorite outdoor sport. Bow hunters seem to be a, a very dedicated, hardcore group. So I could see how you could go from being a bow hunter into a fly angler. Right. They're both very focused. Bow hunters are a different breed of, of hunters. Some of them are, yes, I agree. Yeah. What's the closest you ever shot a buck? I've, well, I've, I've shot elk and deer and whitetails and mule deer and hunted bears and other things over the years. But uh, closest I've been, I don't know. 20, 20 yards or so. Wow. But you have to be fairly close to yeah. And you have to know your range and your accuracy. I, I have a really good friend who's a world-renowned bow hunter, Bob Jacobson, and he's uh, he's very accurate. He's almost 80, or he's 80 years old right now, but he's accurate out to probably 90 yards. He's oh, a very, very outstanding. Well, he's a world champion indoor shooter many, many years ago, so... I have good friends who are very, very good bow hunters. What's your favorite animal and the part of the animal to eat? Uh, of the ones I've, of the ones I've harvested, elk is probably the best tasting, and of course the backstraps are the best cut of meat on that. Yeah, the closest I get is harvesting butternut squash from the garden, <laughs> make soup out of it. Okay, it's about as far as I get. That's good. You just shovel instead of a well, rifle. It's been it's been quite a while since I've harvested a big game. Since I started. Fly fishing, I'm pretty much uh, going to focus on fishing more than hunting. So what's your home local fly shop for you? Our home local fly shop, well, we have a Cabela's uh, within about 15 miles of our home. That's where Lance Egan used that's to where be. Lance, the... That's where I met Lance Egan, right. and that's where Lance got me started uh, when, I, when I began fly fishing pretty much exclusively. And now, we have, now Lance works for Fly Fish Food, which is probably the premier fly fishing shop in our neighborhood in, uh, near Provo, Utah, in Orem. That'd be a dangerous store for me to go into. Yes, it would be for you very dangerous. Yeah, You would. better have a couple thousand dollars when you walk through the door because you won't have it when you walk out. Fly time material is my weakness. That's... So we were down by Pimmet Run today, which was a little elevated from crazy storms last night, and you said that is very similar. Pocket water... Fast gradient to your home waters. Um, the the little stream that ran mm-hmm. into the uh, to the river is similar to the Provo River where I fish in in Provo, Utah. Yeah, and 
that little that little stream where I fish uh, runs through this through the city of Provo, and is uh, is fished by a lot well a number of fly fishermen, and quite a few brown trout in it, and I think I mentioned to you that I've caught eight different species of fish in that particular little stream. Although most people focus on the brown trout, there are a number of other species that we catch during the year. Anything that people from out of town would not have heard of? Something uh, local, maybe? Um, maybe our listeners yeah, in Bulgaria. Yeah, probably so. There are uh, June suckers, which are federally protected, and the only place in, the, as I understand, the only place in the United States uh, where they are completely native right now. And they're protected by federal law, but every once in a while you catch one, take a picture of it, and put it back. Uh, they were on the endangered species list. I don't think they are right now, but there have been uh, millions of dollars poured into the program to try to, to try to make sure that they stay around for a long time. So that's probably the one fish that not very many people would recognize. What's the main food source for brown trout? Uh, in, the, in the rivers... We have the, the different bugs that we look at for any kind of trout fishing. The four major bugs that we always look at, the chronomids. Uh, of course, you've got uh, your caddisflies. And we, we have, sow bugs isn't normally one of the four major groups that we look at, but sow bugs are fairly typical in the Provo River. Do you ever fish the Utah killer bug? I've heard of it. I don't know that I've fished it unless someone's lent it to me while I've been out. So I've only heard of that <clears throat> killer bug on online. It's basically just a scud hook with the killer bug style yarn and like a pink hot spot. Okay. So maybe there's a sow bug out there that looks like that. Uh, there might be. We, we use hot spots a lot in the Provo River and in the streams around there. So lots of times we tie our bugs. I fairly exclusively uh, Euronymph probably as a result of knowing Lance Egan and some of the other guys, some of the other fishermen in our area. A lot of the bugs that we tie, we use hot spots uh, with, the, with the nymphs. Particular color you find? More? Fire orange is a good one, red. So it just depends on what you're, we tie up different variations and tend to catch fish. You know, when the fish are hungry, I'm not sure they differentiate a lot between the colors. They I think they like the patterns, and I think they like the presentation. That seems to get them on our rivers. And what is your rig for Euronymphine out there? Um, let's see. Euronymphine, probably starting with the, the rod, my fishing buddies and I are using 10-foot, 10-foot, 6-inch, maybe 11-foot, 3-weight rods, 2-weight, maybe up to 4-weight, but usually about a 3-weight rod. And we're using... Um, well, any one of the lines that are made by the different manufacturers for Euronymphine. And, and those are just a lot more thin, so less Yeah, they're, they're, they're thinner. I, I think that's a good way. And you usually don't have the line in the water. You're usually fishing with your leader set up and your uh, cider material and, and so on. So the, the line isn't always in the water. Uh, I mean, I fished with floating line. That, does, that works fine. But the Euro lines seem to do better when you're actually... Uh, Euronymphine. At least that's been my experience. If you're fishing with that little amount of line, are you having to creep up on these fish? You have really good um, stocking skills? You know, that's a very interesting question. On the river in town, where I, I normally fish in Provo in the, in the urban waters and in other urban waters, and you're catching fish within six, eight feet of you. I mean, we do a lot of sight fishing when the water's low like it is right now. 
and a lot of times we'll be we'll fish upstream and you'll see a fish and present your your bug to the fish and sometimes you just see see them close their mouths and you know they're on so i have a, a friend a good friend of mine is uh one of the best fly fishermen that i know and I, i've watched him catch lots and lots of fish just sight fishing and within a few feet of himself and i i don't think that's anything different than other Euronymphers do, but we catch fish out to 30, 40 feet sometimes, but mainly it's, you're catching within 15 or 20 feet on the, on the rivers in Provo, or in, in Utah where we fish, Utah, Idaho, and those areas. How important is the reel and backing in that um, style of fishing? Probably like most other fly fishing, the, the reel is not as important unless you're catching big fish like salmon. I, I, I like a reel when I'm salmon fishing that has a good drag system but it's in euro nymphing you don't usually you don't usually get on the reel you're usually catching fish and hand stripping them in until you net them or until you land them where we fished today they had stocked cohos and kings oh really in 1800 so we could have had some <laughs> salmon swimming through today oh really but they didn't take very interesting yeah, yeah. what's your leader setup those are one of those fine-tuned points of the euro style nymphine that i always encounter there are there are several theories on that we've my friends and i have probably gone more to just straight tip it uh coming off your your fly line and we don't you don't have to use a lot of it all the time it just depends on what the conditions are uh i i know lance egan has some really good ideas if you look his look up online uh, his leader materials I've used his with the cider materials and the uh, the heavier lines next to your fly line and then tapering down but we found that we catch more fish on those smaller streams when we're using very light tippets and I think the tippet material is maybe more important than and also the cider and we're kind of getting into uh, using the the crayon markers on the cider instead of having the the the, the crayons, marker. you can use a crayon on... Well, it's not, I don't know what it, what it exactly is, but it's like a felt pen crayon that okay. you buy at the fly fishing shops. And you mark your line, you can pull it off, you can rub it off, but that way you can uh, fish in shallower water and, and you seem to do, we seem to do fairly well with that. Interesting. Yeah. All right. What flies do you like to use out there? Um, as I've, you're a tire, do you have hook preferences? As, as a tire, well, in the rivers in... In Utah, where I fish, and all over the western United States, where I've done this Western States Native Trout Challenge that will be the subject of our discussion, I'm sure, uh, I've been using a lot of Lance Egan's flies. I like I like his patterns, and I've been very successful with them. So most of the, almost every fly that I tie for Euronymphine consists of a tungsten bead, and most of the flies I tie now tend to be on the... Uh, um, on the nymph hooks, the ones that bend, the 60-degree bends, mm -hmm. uh, with tungsten beads. So most of them, we're going to have a fairly heavy tungsten bead to get the fly down quickly because most of the fish we catch are right next to the bottom. You kind of want to feel your fly tick along the bottom if you can, if the water's not too fast. And so the flies that we use are basically uh, heavier flies than you would normally use. We don't use lead weights. Typically, we don't have to use lead weights because we get the bugs down quickly with very light tippets, very thin tippets, and just uh, the, the water that we fish. The, the, the point of... So you mentioned the word net earlier. You've got a preference for what you're scooping fish out with. I've 
I find that when I'm Euronymphing on smaller streams, and, and by the way, the uh, fish that I've, that I've caught on the Western Native Trout Challenge and all of the state challenges and slams that I've completed, all this, the different states in the Western United States, I, I've been using as light, you know, a lightweight net. I've also used the uh, fish pond nets. They float when I'm on a boat. Mm-hmm. I like that because if I drop them in the lake, then they float, or a wooden net. So we use different nets in different situations. Some of the waters that I fish hold some very large trout, uh, some pretty big fish, you know, five, six, seven pounds, maybe even larger than that, some of them that we've hooked. And it's nice to have a big net, and so when you net a fish, you want to keep it in the water as much as you can, of course, and to keep your hands wet so that you're not rubbing off the, the slime and you know maybe giving a death sentence to a fish somewhere. So we use large nets, and I, the fish pond nets tend to float very well. Uh, if you drop them over a boat, and but I, when I'm euro-nymphing, I have just a small net and I just carry it with me. And a lot of times when you're euro-nymphing these small streams that we fish in the western United States, in some of the drier states like Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, even the California small streams, almost all the streams that I fish uh, for the native fish, I sometimes I don't even use a net. Sometimes I just hand lamp. So one of the main topics is going to be trout challenges. I think we may have one in Virginia. They should have one in D.C. for shad, American shad, hickory shad, maybe gizzard shad. But what are the challenges? How do you sign up for it? And what's the whole process? And what do you get when you win? Oh, very good question. The, the main challenge that, uh, that I think we're going to discuss is the Western States Native Trout Challenge. And this challenge is uh, set up so that in the Western United States, and this began in May of 2019, so it's not a very old challenge, uh, rather new. The 12 Western states, excluding Hawaii, of course, so starting with Alaska, Washington, Oregon, California, uh, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Idaho, and then moving over to Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, those 12 Western states, I think they had uh, the Western uh, WINTI, which is the Western Native Trout Initiative, where the state fisheries biologists, fish and game departments, my understanding is that there's a, uh, some consortiums, at least there's the, the WINTI group that comes together and they, they try to preserve or at least conserve the native fish in the different states. So this Western States Native Trout Challenge is uh, the 12 Western states, the fisheries biologists, fish and game departments, I understand maybe some Indian reservation biologists and national park biologists. I know I've talked to a number of the biologists from national park because I've fished in uh, a couple of national parks where we've caught native fish. The, uh, the program was developed to try to encourage fishermen to travel around the western United States and catch the native fish in those 12 western states. So each state, I'm using the term state, I really mean the individuals who are running the programs, uh, have determined and identified native trout in each of the western states. For example, in Utah, the trout that have been identified are really subspecies of the cutthroat trout, the cutthroat trout being the, the dominant species in the Intermountain West and the only native fish in most of the Intermountain West, uh, rainbows, 
browns, tiger trout, all the different uh, introduced species are really invasive species in, the, in most of the Intermountain West. So the native fish in Utah that were identified as in this Western States Native Trout Challenge uh, would be the, uh, let's see, we have the Yellowstone cutthroat trout, we have the Bonneville cutthroat trout, and we have the Colorado River cutthroat trout. Those are the three subspecies that are recognized by, the, by this Winty Challenge, by this challenge as native subspecies or species in the state of Utah. Each state, as I mentioned, the individuals have identified native species. Uh, in Wyoming, uh, those are the three species in addition to the West Slope cutthroat trout, I think is the fourth one in Wyoming that can be harvested or that can be caught and counted in this. Uh, Colorado has two of them, the Rio Grande cutthroat and the Colorado River cutthroat, and those are the only two trout that Colorado the, the Colorado group recognized as their native fish for this particular challenge. Montana recognizes the West Slope cutthroat and the Yellowstone cutthroat. And the other states have different trout. For example, I'll just, uh, Arizona, the one you have to catch in Arizona is the Apache trout because that's the only state that recognizes the Apache trout as a native trout in this 12-state consortium. Uh, we caught our, uh, uh, let's see, Arizona also recognizes the Gila trout. This last year they put that one on their list. Even though it's been around in Arizona, they didn't have enough waters, they being the fisheries biologists who've determined where, we, where you can catch the fish, have decided that the Gila trout now can be caught in one location in Arizona, and that's, that creek is, uh, believe it or not, it's called Dude Creek. And if you catch a Gila trout in Dude Creek, that can count as one of the native fish on this winty challenge. California has uh, four species or subspecies of trout that are not found anywhere else. They have other species that are found in other states. But California, if you fish in California, you target the two different kinds of golden trout, the California golden trout and the Little Kern River golden trout, which are located in their native ranges only uh, I'm going to say in southern the southern part of California near Sequoia National Park and in the uh, in the Golden Trout Wilderness Area. If you catch them in other places in California, that particular species, uh, either one of those species, even though it might be a California Golden Trout, if you were to catch that fish outside of the native range, that particular fish would not count for the Western Native Trout Challenge. So they're in the Wind River Range, but that wouldn't count. Th that's correct. We have them in Utah. You can catch a golden trout in Utah. You can catch a golden trout in Wyoming, and I'm sure there are other states that have them. I haven't caught them in other states. But if you catch one in those states, they do not count for the Western Native Trout Challenge, even though they are taken from California and planted or transplanted into those different states. They only count in California because that's their native range. And we're talking about the little itty-bitty jewel-colored, high-elevation-y trout, not the ones that look like an orange popsicle made in a lab <laughs> that are stocked in the east that people call golden trout, but they're also known as palomino. Okay. People out here will be like, I caught a golden trout. It was 24 inches long. Are those the albino trout or what? They're not albino. Oh. It's I forget. It's in. I've caught albino trout in Utah, but they, those are planted in different. Yeah, places. Anders Halverson's book has the whole story okay. about them, but they're made in a lab and they look like a popsicle. Oh, really? Interesting. Well, these golden trout in California are found in their native range, 
And they're, they're fairly, I, I'm going to say they're probably the easiest fish to catch of the, of the species that have been identified for this challenge. Once you find them, they're not very difficult to catch, in my opinion. And, and I've found them in several different places where I've caught them in California. California also has the Kern River rainbow trout, which is indigenous to the Kern River drainage, and that's on the list. And California also recognizes the Eagle Lake rainbow trout, which is, uh, according to the California biologists, is indigenous to the Eagle Lake area. And really, it's just Eagle Lake. There's a stream that runs into Eagle Lake where they spawn. But most of the trout, I think, are probably raised in a hatchery now. And that's, uh, that's the, one of the trout in California. So there are four trout in California that are recognized as native trout for the Western Native Trout Challenge. Now, California also recognizes a number of other species or subspecies of trout, including the coastal cutthroat, the red band rainbow, the coastal rainbow, which is very interesting. The coastal rainbow is considered, uh, you, you catch a coastal rainbow, you can catch it in the Sierra Nevada mountains because according to the biologists that I've spoken with, if the stream runs down into a river that drains out into the Pacific Ocean, it's considered a coastal rainbow trout. So we've caught coastal rainbow trout in the branches of the Thule River, and they count as native trout for the California challenge, but not for the Winty challenge. Uh, there are other, I'm trying to remember the other fish in California, there are a couple others that count several different kinds of red band trout, the McLeod red band, the Warner Lakes red band, and uh, the Lassen Creek uh, red bands. I've caught a couple of those, but you have to catch them in their native range to count for the California challenge. So I'm kind of getting, I'm, I'm kind of going afield here, but mm -hmm. the Western Native Trout Challenge, let's get back to that. The 12 states identified, have the 12 state fisheries individuals have identified 20 different species or subspecies of salmonids. They're not all trout. We have a grayling uh, in, in Alaska, and we have char, which we have the Dolly Varden. We have the bull trout. Uh, so we, we've got different types of char that are also on this particular list for the Western Native Trout Challenge. So there are t 20 total species or subspecies on the list for the Western Native Trout Challenge. And the challenge is, in your lifetime, to catch 18, at least 18 of those 20 species. The catch is you cannot duplicate, say, one species. In, uh, you can't catch the same species in two states and count that same species as part of the 18. Let me clarify. If I catch a Colorado River cutthroat in Utah, and I catch one in Wyoming, and I catch one in Colorado, I've caught the Colorado River cutthroat in three different states. But you can only count that Colorado River cutthroat from one of those states. So here's the challenge. Catch 18 of the 20 species, but you have to catch a unique species, so to speak, in each of the states. So you can't duplicate species in states, even though uh, a number of the states, actually, you can, you can imagine that these cutthroat trout, for example, don't just stay in Utah. The, we have 
Colorado River cutthroats in Wyoming. We have them in Colorado. We have them in Utah. We have Yellowstone cutthroats in Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, Utah, Nevada. And so you have five states that have Yellowstone cutthroats, but you can only count a Yellowstone cutthroat from one of those five states for the challenge. Here's the other part of that challenge that makes it really interesting is that you must catch, uh, there are three levels to the challenge, and I know I'm kind of jumping around here, but there are three levels to the challenge. The first level, and I think they call that the expert caster level, is where you catch six different species or subspecies of those 18 in four different states. So obviously, if you do the math, that means you have to catch at least two species in two of the states and then one species in each of the other two states, or you catch three species in one state and three individual species in three other states. So six different fish in four states. And once you've done that, you've now met the challenge for the first level of the Western States Native Trout Challenge. The next level um, is, catch, is to catch six additional species in four additional states. So by the time you finish the, the next level, you will have caught at least 12, or excuse me, at least eight, let's see, six, at least 12 species in at least eight states. And those species, once again, have to be unique to the states. You can't count uh, one species from two different states. And for the final level, uh, you catch the 18 total, at least 18 of the 20, in the 12 different states. So that means you have to travel to 12 different states to catch these fish. And you have to catch the fish that are on the list, the native fish. And once again, let me reiterate one thing. You can't count a fish if you catch the fish out of the native range. Now, sad story for me. Oh, no. Yes, sad story for me is when I went to California the first time, you can tell what happened, uh, I caught the golden trout. It's a, kind of a, a good story. I, I drove uh, and met one of my friends in California because as I've been doing the Western Native Trout Challenge, uh, since I taught at a university for 28 years, I have a lot of students who like to fly fish with me or fly fish, and I've invited several of those to fish with me on my trips to Arizona, uh, New Mexico, uh, Nevada, California, and different places. I'll try to find a student maybe that's graduated and I can fish with him or one of my relatives or a good friend. So I went to California in 2019 in October, and I had intended to catch the four different species for the Western Native Trout Challenge and spend about a week, uh, maybe five days, putting a lot of miles on my car and catching those four different species of fish or subspecies. So I drove to the uh, Golden Trout area, met one of my good friends from California, and we drove to where we thought the fisheries biologist that I spoke with had told us to fish. And there was a sign, if I had a, a PowerPoint presentation or something, I would show you a picture of the sign that we took a picture of, a big sign that says, California Golden Trout Wilderness Area. And we thought, okay, we're that's, right where we're supposed to be. That's the, if, there, if there's a sign... That's right. But we, we didn't turn off at the right turnoff, 
we went about two miles or three miles too far where we saw the sign at a parking lot. And some of any of you that are listening to this podcast may have been to that sign. It's near the Black Rock Visitor Information Center in, uh, in the Sierra Nevadas in the Golden Trout Wilderness Area. So we talked to a, a several campers who were there, and they were actually deer hunting. And we said, we asked them if they'd uh, been fishing, and they said, yeah, we went down in this meadow, and we caught some golden trout. And I said, oh, that's what we want to catch. What kind? Oh, go California golden trout. Perfect. That's the species we're after right up here. So my friend and I hiked down in this canyon, and we went down to the stream, I don't know, maybe a mile, not very far, and we crossed a little, just a little stream, maybe two feet wide, and I'm going to say a foot or a foot and a half deep. And I said, I'm just going to try right here. So I dropped in. And by the way, I Euronymphed almost exclusively on my West, my first Western Native Trout Challenge. So I'm Euronymphing, and I dropped one of my bugs in. I think it was a Frenchie. And I twitched it. And I was probably the most surprised person in the world when about a nine-inch golden trout smacked big. that thing on the first drift. And it wasn't really a drift because it was just a cut bank. And I pulled this trout out, and I said, we're done. We looked at it. We took pictures of it. Beautiful golden trout. And we said, well, let's walk down in a canyon. So we walked down a little further uh, to the larger creek, which was a very nice creek, and proceeded to catch maybe a dozen, 10 or 12 uh, beautiful California golden trout up to 9 or 10 inches. And one, as I mentioned earlier, once you find the golden trout, it seems like they're not, at least at that time of year, they weren't difficult to catch. So I caught that trout, took pictures, took videos, came back up to the truck, and then we drove down to a campground and we caught the Kern River rainbows the next that evening, actually. And then the next day we caught the uh, little Kern River rainbows. So we caught all three of those species in one area. You could do it in one day if you really worked at it hard. But we took our time and did it in two days. And when I got home and I put those on my list to qualify for, I think, my second level... I, of course, sent my picture in with a picture of that California golden trout, and I received a phone call about wow. three or four days later from the fisheries biologist in that region, and he said, Mark, where did you catch that fish? And I looked on my map, and I said, I caught it at, uh, I think it was Casa Vieja Meadow in, uh, in this area. And I said, it was a beautiful golden trout, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry to tell you that you were a couple miles outside the native range of the California golden trout. And I, I said, it can't be. There's a sign that indicated this was the California golden trout wilderness area. And we hiked down and we caught these beautiful fish. They're California. Yes, they're California golden trout, but you caught them outside the native range. So they do not count for either the Winty Challenge or the California Heritage Trout Challenge. Oh, no. And so... So I obviously ended up uh, saying, well, I guess I have to go back, which I did uh, that next spring. I went back and, and was in the right place, caught the California golden trout so that I did it the right way. So beware that when you go after these fish for the Winty Trout, for this Western Native Trout Challenge, be sure that you know exactly where you're catching your fish and that you're in the native range of those fish, because if not... They'll be disqual. They could be disqualified. 
And I understand. I mean, I, I, I felt like, oh, I've got to go back. I was glad I got to go back because I took my son with me. And uh, my son was actually doing his, one of my sons was doing his uh, first level of the Native Trout Challenge. And we had a great trip with his oldest son, one of my grandchildren. And we, uh, and we went through California and had a great time. But I did catch the trout in the right place. Uh, I did not catch the trout in the right place the first time. So I did not finish the California Heritage Challenge on that first trip. I had to come back and do it again. So, so two questions. One, sure. do you walk into Fly Fish Food and Cheech has a laminated sheet and you just right. click them off as you go? Like, how do you keep track of it all? And then not that many people can differentiate trout from each other. So is it, that's why you're photographing and sending in? That's right. Because otherwise people might be taking a picture of a bluegill and be like, I caught a brown trout. Let, let me give you another example of my own, of my own experience. Oh, no. So my, my, first, uh, my first trip to Montana, I decided that I wanted to catch the two trout in Montana that are on the Winty Challenge the Yellowstone Cutthroat and the uh, West Slope Cutthroat. So I finished the West Slope Cutthroat. Uh, I caught the West Slope Cutthroat. It took me quite a few hours. I had a hard time uh, figuring out how to catch it, and then I did, so I was happy. And the next day I drove up to a reservoir. Some will recognize the name of this, Highlight Reservoir in Montana. Now, Montana has some very specific rules about the Western Native Trout Challenge. The state of Montana the biologists and fish and game people have decided that you can only catch for the Winty Challenge, you can only catch these, uh, the Yellowstone cutthroat and the West Slope cutthroat in lakes that they designate. No moving water. So where I've caught most of the fish on this challenge in moving water, this is one state where you have to catch the fish in uh, still water in, and in designated ponds or lakes. How does Eurodymphine work in still water? We always think about the moving water and your arm going downstream. Good question. I, I've caught fish using Euronymph, you know, the flies, but typically when I fish a lake, I'll either be fishing under a strike indicator like we would with chronomids in the Northwest and in Utah and other places, or uh, fishing with a, uh, maybe on a float tube. I caught several of my trout in Eagle Lake, for example, Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Uh, on a float tube, the, the several times that I've caught Eagle Lake rainbows, I've been on a float tube and either under a strike indicator or stripping uh, some kind of a, a streamer behind the float tube. But in Montana, 
my story goes back to making sure you identify the fish, right? Mm-hmm. So I was told that Highlight Reservoir held a good population of Yellowstone cutthroats. So where I had caught the West Slope cutthroat, it was only a few hours from there to Highlight Reservoir. I drove the next day to Highlight, and I talked to some fishermen on the bank who said, oh, yeah, we caught a lot of cutthroats in here last night. I said, great. So I got on my float tube, floated around for maybe an hour, trying to figure out which bug to use. And I finally, I finally got the right bug and had a really nice strike, hooked the fish, reeled it in, and I said, oh, I'm done. I got my Yellowstone cutthroat, so now I can go somewhere else and catch another fish on this trip. I had a fairly long trip plan. And uh, I pulled it out, put it in the net, took a picture of it, put it back in the water, and then I, my brain finally clicked in. I said, that had red dots on the side. And I looked at the, the picture. I looked at the picture, and I had caught a, bro- or a blue dots, and I, I'd caught a brook trout. And I thought, what? I caught a brook trout. I thought it was a Yellowstone cutthroat. So you do have to know how to identify the different fish. So I said, darn it, got to fish again, which is fine. So I, I spent a couple hours fishing. And so I'm floating around again, and I get a really good strike. I hook a fish. I landed it, but before it even came out of the water, I said, that's a grayling. What's a grayling doing here? And later on, I found out they have grayling in the lake. So I caught a nice 14-inch grayling. Oh, pretty. Took a nice picture of it, put it back, but it didn't count for anything. Even though grayling is one of the fish in Alaska, it's not a trout. It's a, it's a salmonid. Mm-hmm. Even though it's one of the fish on the Winty Challenge, it did not count in Montana. So I put the grayling back. So now I have a brook trout and I have a grayling. And I said, I got to get a, I got to get a Yellowstone cutthroat. I'm here, and this is the only place I'm going to stop in Montana for a Yellowstone cutthroat. And so I finally rigged up with a floating line and a strike indicator, and found a nice little uh, island. I stepped on the island, cast out, and within about five or ten minutes, I had a really nice, like a 14-inch Yellowstone cutthroat, and it was a Yellowstone cutthroat. You could see the cuts marks on the gill plate or on the gills and and so I took my pictures and I walked away but you have to know what the fish looks like and the, the way to do that and one thing I learned on on my first trek is call the fish and game biologists in the state where you're going look at the maps because the the Winty challenge this challenge if you dial up on the internet western states native trout challenge uh, they've done a great job of posting maps in the 12 different states of where you can catch these fish and where they count for the challenge. So I ended up, uh, I, every state I went to, I spent time and I have, I have lots and lots of notes uh, that I took notes when I talked to these biologists or the fish and game representatives. And I would do a lot of triangulating where I'd talk to two or three different individuals and say, if you had to catch, here's, here's the great question. If you had to catch a Yellowstone cutthroat in, I, I was going to say Nevada, but there's really only one drainage in Nevada where you can catch them and count. If you had to catch a Yellowstone cutthroat in Idaho, where would you go? And I'd ask that question of two or three different biologists. And when I finally got a couple of the same answers, then I'd do some research uh, maybe go on the internet and look at the fishing reports. And it saved me a lot of time when I finally realized that if you ask the right people the right questions, then you can usually drive to the area and catch the fish 
And if you ask the question, are there other fish in this stream that I might catch? And if they say, yes, you might catch three or four different species of fish, then you might want to try another stream because you don't know if you're going to catch the one you want. Case in point, the bull trout for me was one of the most difficult fish to catch. I fished the for fish are crazy. They're, they're tough to catch. For me, they were. So the first place I went was the Clearwater River with one of my, my oldest son. And he's a, he loves to fly fish and fish for trout. And so he had the trip planned. And we went to the Clearwater River in Idaho where you can catch bull trout. You release them immediately. And we saw bull trout. We tried to catch them. We didn't have any luck. I asked the biologists. I asked the fly shops. I bought, you know quite a few flies trying to catch them and we just never did and then the next thing I did is I went to uh, on my way back I was doing a loop and I went to the Metolius River in Oregon which is one of the famous rivers for bull trout and once again I asked the biologists the fly fishing shops stopped in Bend uh, at my brother's house and, and we fished the Metolius River and I ended up not catching a bull trout, but I did catch a very beautiful red band, some red band trout there that counted because that's one of the fish in Oregon, red band rainbows, but no bull trout. And then I went with a student to Nevada and we hiked up the one drainage where you can catch bull trout, where there are two couple of drainages, but the main one is the Jarbidge River. And we hiked a couple miles up the Jarbidge and caught lots and lots of red band rainbows, which is one of the winty fish in Nevada but we didn't catch a bull trout. And so I thought I'm never gonna catch a bull trout. So finally, I uh, was in touch with the Idaho fishing game. I, uh, I found the salmon, I think it was the salmon Idaho department with one of the specialists, the bull trout specialist there. And he said, if you go to this particular stream, you should catch a bull trout. And he said, we're trying to, you know, re not reintroduce, but at least get the bull trout in that stream to be the predominant species. And so I asked him my, my favorite question. If I catch fish in that stream, will they all be bull trout? And, he, and I said, let me put it this way. If I, if I hook and land four fish, how many of those fish in that stream will be bull trout? Because I feel like I can catch a handful of fish in any of the streams once I get to them, if the fish are cooperating at all. And he said, well... If you catch four fish in that stream, all four of them should be bull trout. And I said, okay, that's the stream I want to fish. So we went to, my student and I drove up to that stream, and we parked, and we fished exactly. The, the, the biologist had given me a map. He'd been very courteous by sending me a map on, you know, Google map, pinpointed where I should park, the stretch of river, I, the stream I should fish. And he said, this is a small stream but you should have some resident bull trout. So I was pretty excited about finally, after three tries, catching my bull trout. Well, I fished, we fished the morning for a couple hours, not even a strike. And I thought, this is troubling. <laughs> this is gonna be not very happy. And so we ate lunch. And after lunch, I had a couple strikes, by the way. I did have a strike or two before lunch. Uh, and then, after lunch, we said, okay, we'll go upriver because the higher you get, usually with bull trout, it seems like in these small feeder streams, you should be able to have a better opportunity of catching a bull trout. So after lunch, uh, my student went up maybe, my friend Will went up uh, maybe 
several hundred yards above me, and I fished a stretch. And sure enough, I hooked a fish, didn't land it, but I looked, saw it and I said, oh, that's a beautiful fish. I think that's a bull trout. Hooked another one, landed it, about a 10 or 11-inch fish, and I thought, oh, I got my bull trout. I landed it. Guess what? It's a West Slope cutthroat. Gorgeous fish, beautiful markings, but it's a cutthroat. And I thought, well, that didn't work. So I went up to another, another pool, a little pocket water, hooked another fish, thought, okay, I got my bull trout, landed it, West Slope cutthroat. And as I looked through my notes, I, I reread my notes from a couple years ago, and uh, I, I think I hooked like four trout within an hour after lunch. Each one of them was a West Slope cutthroat. Beautiful fish, up to 11 inches or so. Not one of them was a bull trout. And so I didn't get it, but my student came running down, he came running down to me about an hour and a half later, and he said, he said, Mark, I caught, I caught a bull trout, and he showed me a picture. I said, yeah, that's a bull trout. He said, come on up. And I said, well, I've caught you know, a handful of fish, but they've all been West Slope cutthroats. So by the way, if you ever want to uh, think about beating the odds, I think I beat the odds. I was supposed to have caught four bull trout, and I caught all West Slope cutthroats. And so I ran up the river. I went up the river with him to the place where he caught his bull trout and proceeded to catch what? Three or four more West Slope cutthroats plus two or three rainbow trout up to about 12 inches no in this little stream. And finally, after a couple hours, I hooked and landed like an eight or nine inch bull trout. And then I immediately landed another one. So I finally got my bull trout. But just that is something that you want to be a little careful of. Make sure that you're in water where you're going to catch your particular fish, the one that you want. And, I, and I've been very fortunate to do that in almost every case. Uh, giving you a couple of examples where I went outside the native range without knowing it, and then also beating the odds by not catching all bull trout, but uh, a lot of fun anyway. You mentioned lunch. How are you fueling yourself? Is it beef jerky and gas station burritos? Oh, very, very good question. Uh, no, usually in the morning we get, uh, we usually make a breakfast, or I will, or, or get a breakfast sandwich or something, and then uh, I, I usually take a cooler with bread and sandwich meats and whatever I want to eat for lunch and I'll stop and make a sandwich and have a bottle of water uh, and some chips or something and that seems to work very well on these trips. So, Are there any types of chips in Utah you can get that you can't get here? Uh, potato chips? Yeah, there's got to be some things in Utah you can, can't get out that here. That you can't get out here. I don't know, I haven't been out here long enough to know what you can and can't get. No, just uh, your your favorite type of uh, chip, potato chips, corn chips, whatever you like. I miss the crunch taters. I, that was I, in the early 90s, and in Home Alone, that's what Kevin McAllister oh. <laughs> is eating. It's crunch taters, barbecue, this mighty mesquite. Oh, nice. Can't get those anymore. No, it's... That was a good chip. But that's how, that's how we... That's how we move. Sometimes you, if you're in a motel or have a microwave handy, you might get a, a frozen dinner and eat that for dinner or sometimes go out to a you know a fast food place or a restaurant depends on depends on how much you want to spend on these trips whether you want to stay in motels or whether you want to camp uh, the hard part about the winty challenge I think the most expensive part about the winty challenge I did a spreadsheet I went through all my notes took me a, right now it's got to be the gas prices yeah it took me a few well yeah, that's exactly you right get a horse I, I think I came up with all the trips that I took on my first Winty Challenge. I've done the whole thing twice. 
as has uh, Steve McMillan from Nevada. And I noticed last night that someone else had. I didn't recognize the name. What brand or model of waiters are taking a beating in all this travel? Uh, the answer to your question is, I don't think I used waiters except in Alaska. So I was wet waiting oh, every better. place, even in October, I was wet waiting. Because the streams aren't, the streams that you fish for native trout are not going to be very big. If you're from the east, you think of maybe a brook trout stream where you have a lot of branches, you know, a lot of growth. Some of the, some of the streams I fished in Utah and Nevada and Arizona uh, and, and even California, but mainly the, the western states, the, the drier states, they're little tiny streams. Some of them, some of them might be a couple of cubic feet per second flow at the most. And yet you'll pull out a 10 or 11 inch Apache trout or Gila trout or rainbow trout in some of those streams and just say, whoa, where was that fish? How did that happen? You just fish a nice little pool that's maybe a foot and a half deep and underneath some, you know, a cut bank and bam, you get a, get a real nice fish. So they know how to survive. Any uh, dry fly fishing? Are there hatches that you encounter? Yeah, a lot of the fishermen on the Winty Challenge are using dry flies. I'm more a nymph fisherman. I've caught plenty of fish on dry flies, and I have caught a number of the native fish on dry flies, uh, but uh, mainly I've been using nymphs and fishing, you know, fishing down on the bottom. Uh, I think that for me tends to be the best, the best method for me. I apologize for the lighting here. We're on the east side of the house, and the west side's getting all the sunlight through the windows. Oh, I'm fine. I, what I was going to say... lamp doesn't turn on until six. Above as, I, as, I, as I transcribed all my notes, I found out that I put on 18,399 miles of travel on the first Winty Challenge that I, that I made going through the 12 western states. Now, I will say that 4,000... 250 of those miles were air miles going from Salt Lake City to Anchorage on a plane on, on a commercial airliner. Uh, I was fortunate enough in Alaska to have a former student who owns an airplane, at, and we flew, to, uh, we flew across the Cook Inlet to catch Dolly Varden and catch some really big Dolly Varden, four or five pound fish. Uh, behind some red salmon that were spawning. So he landed his plane on a sandbar, and we had a great time. It was a wonderful, wonderful little trip. And uh, like I say, I was fort I'm fortunate enough to have students who live around the United States and basically all over the world. If I want to fish somewhere, I sometimes make a phone call to a former student, and we have a trip together and get to relive old times in the classroom and in other places. So... That was one one trip that was really fun, but eighteen thousand miles, uh, about fourteen thousand of them in a car, and that's a lot of driving. So if you don't like to drive, you probably won't want to do this. No. Uh, and I did it in less than a year. Steve McMillan, I think, did it in six months or something, and then I did my second one in an, the next year. So I did two of them in two years, the the whole trips. But the second one, I was a lot more. I was I was more ready for the trips and I knew how to cut down on the mileage and where to go and I made sure that I had uh, one of my friends with me, my, one of my sons or one of my uh, colleagues or somebody in, on most of the trips. I, I found myself hiking into several places by myself that I wouldn't recommend, three, four miles sometimes up a canyon and thinking, whoa, if I fall and break a leg, 
I don't have a sat phone, which is probably not the smartest thing to do, especially if you're a Boy Scout, you probably ought to be a little more prepared, even though you might have your emergency gear. So I, I did hike up a few canyons to catch fish like uh, the Rio Grande Cutthroat uh, in Colorado. I hiked up a canyon several miles to catch them and, and some other places, Nevada and other places. Mountain lions? I didn't see any mountain lions. I've, I've they been saw in, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've listened. We have mountain lions within a few miles of my house in oh, Provo. No. Uh-uh. And uh, I've had, my brother was stalked by a mountain lion while he was bow hunting once, and so were some of my students. We, oh, we've wow. got a lot of stories about mountain lions, but uh, I've never, uh, I've never been involved with them while I've been fishing, even in the, even in remote areas. Alaska, different thing. Bears, yes, you see, you'll see bears probably. And you want to take precautions with uh, bear spray or whatever your choice of weapon is. But uh, so far, we haven't had to worry about that. There was a guy just killed last week in Montana by a grizzly, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. There was one, I, I believe there was a guy killed in Yellowstone where I fished last year, but he was, uh, he was killed by a grizzly a year and a half or two years ago. A very, you know, very experienced guide. The cantor at my dad's synagogue, her brother was in Canada and was pushed off a cliff by a grizzly bear last year. Wow. Like he had nowhere to go and it just pushed them off and killed them. Wow. Well, yeah, I know around I'm... here, we, don't have to be, we saw some, not even squirrels today. There were just some birds. So we were yeah. okay. Yeah, we were fine. We didn't have any, any grizzly bears or anything. No, no that's right. No, I haven't worried too much. We we have we did encounter a rattlesnake or two on these trips, um, so those are. I mean, you're going to see those in Nevada, maybe or Utah, Wyoming, Colorado, uh, Arizona. They're like 30 minutes west of here. I've never Idaho. seen one except really? in Oregon. Yeah, we had one when we caught Gila trout in Arizona. My my nephew put his hand on a rock and had about a three and a half foot rattlesnake within oh, no. a foot and a half of him and it didn't strike him but it sure scared him and we got some pictures of that one what's the weirdest roadkill you've seen on your drives well we've seen rattlesnakes the weirdest roadkill i don't know that we haven't seen any uh abominable snowmen so we haven't seen those they'll melt after you hit them yeah they'll probably melt yeah um gee i don't know that i recall just your basic deer mule deer in the western united states mainly and i've seen elk uh, that have been killed on on the roads moose on one but that was on another trip wow so nothing really strange yeah Anything else you want to talk about that I haven't mentioned uh, Yeah, I, I might mention, um, we were talking about the Western States Native Trout Challenge. In addition to the Western States Native Trout Challenge, there are six states of those 12 that offer what they call either a, a slam or a challenge. California has what is known as the California Heritage Trout Challenge, and I believe there are nine or ten different species or subspecies, I mentioned a number of them earlier, of uh, red band trout, Kern River rainbows, Eagle Lake rainbows, golden trout, etc., that uh, are native to California. And if you catch six of those trout, of those different trout, you qualify for the California 
heritage trout slam or challenge. And that, uh, that's as long as you catch them in the native range. I gave you the example of where mm-hmm. I didn't catch one. And so when I applied for, the, for that challenge, it was rejected and I had to go back and catch uh, two different, I caught two other species in the right place. So that's the California challenge. Then the Arizona has two challenges. So it's the one state that has two separate challenges. There's the wild trout challenge in Arizona where you catch a wild brown trout, a wild rainbow trout, a wild brook trout, and a wild Apache trout. The Apache trout has to be wild, so it has to come from a certain, you know, certain streams. It can't be a planted Apache trout. It has to be a wild one. So you usually uh, have to figure you're going to hike a mile or two up one of these little streams, which I've done in several cases, and caught the wild Apaches in the West Fork of the Black River and the West Fork of the Little Colorado. And then we've also caught... Uh, We've caught Apache trout in a couple other places where they weren't wild. Uh, so uh, Arizona has those four fishes. That's their wild trout challenge. And then Arizona also has what they call, I think, their trout challenge. And that's where you catch six different species or subspecies of trout in Arizona uh, out of, I think, eight different, eight different possibilities the thing is you can't duplicate the same water. You can't catch an Apache trout on the West Fork of the Little Colorado for your wild trout challenge and then catch an Apache trout for your other challenge. So you have to find another stream. That's why I say we've caught them in different places. So that challenge consists of Apache trout, any planted, wild, doesn't matter, just has to be in a different place than your wild trout challenge. So Apache trout, uh, brook trout, brown trout, rainbow trout, uh, cutthroat trout, gila trout, tiger trout, and grayling. I think that's eight fish that I mentioned. So those eight fish, even though grayling isn't a trout, you catch six of those eight different fish anywhere in, in Arizona, and you qualify for your other Arizona challenge. So there are two challenges in Arizona. <clears throat> and I've, uh, I found that an easy, not an easy way, but a good way to do that is to go to the Flagstaff area and fish on the kaibab for your uh, for your brook trout and your tiger trout and maybe even a brown trout or rainbow. And then the White Mountains in Arizona is a fabulous place to fish. I hope everyone has a chance to fish in the White Mountains where you catch your Apache trout and we caught cutthroats, grayling. There's a lake, uh, a couple of lakes where there's grayling. One lake in particular, Acre Lake, which holds a population of grayling and some Apache trout. Uh, and then you can also, I think I mentioned cutthroat already, cutthroat, grayling, rainbow trout, brook trout, and even some lakes that hold tiger trout, and of course Apache trout, and then there you have Dude Creek that holds the Gila trout a little further uh, west of the White Mountains. So that's a wonder, I love, I love that area. That's probably one of my favorite areas of all this uh, traveling. So there's three of the challenges, two in Arizona, one in California. New Mexico recently implemented a trout challenge, and so as soon as they did that, I had to go and finish that one because that's one I hadn't done. And that's five trout, the Rio Grande cutthroat, the brook trout, the rainbow trout, the brown trout, and the Gila trout. You catch those fish anywhere in New Mexico, planted, stocked, or native, or wild, and you you comply with their requirements for the New Mexico uh, trout challenge. So that's four, three states, four challenges. There are three more states that have challenges, Utah, Wyoming, and Nevada. Utah, uh, you catch 
the three species that I mentioned earlier, subspecies of cutthroats, Colorado River, Yellowstone cutthroat, Bonneville cutthroat, and Utah also recognizes what they call the Bear River cutthroat, which is really, uh, it's a Bonneville cutthroat, but it, they count they count it as one of their subspecies if you catch it in the right uh, streams and rivers in northern Utah. So that's the Utah challenge. I've been able to do that one, I think, five times and helped a number of people finish their challenges. We've had a lot of fun driving around Utah catching those fish because that's my home state. And I, if anybody needs any help, give me a call. I can give them many places to go catch those different fish. And then, so that's uh, five of the challenges. Two more, you've got uh, Wyoming has four trout, four cutthroat trout. It's called their cutthroat trout challenge. Yellowstone cutthroats, Bonneville cutthroats, Colorado River cutthroats, and the Snake River, I think, the fine-spotted cutthroat. Uh, they also have West Slope cutthroats, but the, that's not on their challenge, or at least it wasn't when I completed it. So you can do that one in a, in a couple days if you plan correctly. And I know some people who've done it in a day. So if you want to really put on the miles and go far, or there's some places where you can do it even faster than that. So Wyoming has a challenge. And then the other challenge is Nevada. And I will say right now that Nevada was my most difficult challenge, even though I live right next to Nevada. You got a hat, though. It took me. Yeah, I'm wearing that hat right now. And you're it, number 21. Yeah, I was number 23, Michael Jordan. Oh, 23. Yeah, number 23. Uh, I think it's been going for four or five years or so, and I think I must be the 23rd one that finished it because they gave me hat number 23. That's my assumption. But that challenge uh, is not only you catch, you catch a Bonneville cutthroat, a Yellowstone cutthroat, a red band rainbow because that's a native fish in Nevada. These are all native fish. These are all native. They've been there. A bull trout, a Lahontan cutthroat, and the last one is a salmonid. It's not a trout. It's a whitefish. So you catch the, the native whitefish. And, and I'll tell you what, that took me, I think, five different trips. Uh, I was taking friends to catch their winty fish. And so Lahontan's the, the easiest fish, I think, on that one was the Lahontan. Oh, the red bands. You can catch 100 red bands in a day. If you go to the Jarbage River or uh, some of the other places, you can really catch a lot of red band trout. They're not very big usually, but you can catch some big ones. The bull trout's a little more difficult. The Yellowstone is only in one place. And the Goose River drainage with a couple little feeder streams that hold them. And then the Bonneville cutthroats down near... Uh, the uh, Great Basin National Park in Hendry's Creek and several other little streams and maybe a, a lake or two where you can catch those. Uh, Hendry's Creek seems to be the place where most people go and we hiked. I took one of my good friends and we hiked three and a half miles up the canyon uh, on an intermittent stream that was water, no water, water, no water, and about three, three and a half miles later we found enough water where there were some uh, some Bonneville cutthroats that we caught that were really fun. The whitefish, some for some, has been a very difficult fish to catch there. There aren't a lot of them, but the Bruno River holds uh, some whitefish. That's where I caught mine, and I was fortunate to catch it the first time I tried for it. But I've heard from some people that that's their most difficult fish. <clears throat> so those are the seven challenges in the six different states. And I've been fortunate enough to complete each one of those challenges as I've been uh, driving around the Western United States doing the Winty Challenge. 
Did you ever have a chance to correspond or meet Dr. Bob Benke? Bob who? Benke. I haven't. Uh, he was Colorado State. I, I'd probably in, enjoy talking to him. Yeah. I, I've talked to quite a few of the fisheries biologists in the western United States, in each one of the states, uh, in the different places that I've that I've fished, because I, they have a fisheries biologist has a lot of knowledge about where the fish are and the best place to fish. And I have found that a number of them are fly fishermen, because I did this all fly fishing. Everything I caught was on a fly rod. Um, and not that you have to, but that's what I did with, with barbless hooks and trying to, you know, pretty much all catch and release. I think I kept one Eagle Lake, a couple of Eagle Lake rainbows because they're very delicious. But uh, that's, uh, I've talked to a lot of biologists and a lot of fish and game uh, individuals who've helped me out. They've been very, everyone's been very courteous from every state. I don't think I've met anyone who has uh, felt, you know, obligated to to give me information they've all been very helpful and when it comes to maps or when it comes to time to fish best places to fish i think that's probably the best thing i can tell you is make some phone calls go online do your research and i think you'll be you won't be disappointed my final question are you going to put this all into a book I've, uh, I wrote an article for Trout Unlimited in, I think, 2016 on the Utah Cutthroat Slam. I was one of the first ones to be able to finish that. Not, I mean, one of the first 15 or so. And I wrote an article for them. So if you look up Hutchings, Utah Cutthroat Slam on Trout Unlimited's uh, website, you'll see that article. And you can get a feel for just one, one trip, one Cutthroat Slam. And I, I've got many, many, many pages of notes and and uh, journal entries, and I'm planning on doing some writing. I don't know if I'll put it, I might put it in a book. I, yeah. It'd be kind of fun. I know Steve McMillan, I've mentioned his name several times. He was the first one to finish the Winty Challenge, and he's done it twice, and he was the first one to finish, uh, I think, all, si- all the six state slams. I think he finished about a week before I did. Oh. We had a little competition going in a way, but he, he finished those before I did, uh, which is fine. We'd had a great time doing them, and talk- we've talked about them. And I think he's been featured in some articles that you can read. Uh, he has caught, if you want to really talk to someone who knows his cutthroat trout, he, one of his goals, as I understand it, is to catch uh, native fish in Nevada, that's his home state, in all the streams in at least one of the counties. He's caught cutthroat trout in dozens and dozens and dozens of streams in Nevada, places where the biologist didn't even know they were cutthroat trout. I think he's even uh, discovered some, maybe some other subspecies of cutthroat trout. So if you're interested in cutthroats, that's a a person that knows a lot about them. Where can listeners get a hold of you? How can they do it? If uh, anybody wants to contact me, they're welcome to call me. Uh, I live in Provo, Utah. And uh, if they want to uh, get in touch with me by email, my email address is Mark, M-A-R-K underscore Hutchings, H-U-T-C-H-I-N-G-S at Outlook.com. And if they want to get in touch with me by telephone, that's fine too. 801-592-4524. And I'm more than happy to talk about the the native trout. Uh, I'm I'm now I think 
one of those who really, really enjoys fishing for small fish in small streams. And although I've caught some big, some of these fish were rather large that you catch. You catch an Eagle Lake rainbow. I've, I've hooked some big Eagle Lake rainbows and some, you can catch some big Yellowstone cutthroats in Henry's Lake and other places uh, and bull trout. Some of you've probably caught some bull trout in the five or 10 pound range. So some of these fish can, can get to some, get to be pretty large. But most of them, you're gonna to have to be happy with a seven or eight inch fish or six inch fish. And I think if you read that article that I wrote, you'll see one of the pictures I'm holding my Yellowstone cutthroat from Colorado, from Cal, excuse me, from Utah uh, in one of my, the palms of my hand and it's only maybe four or five inches long. But it took me a long time to catch it and so I was pretty pleased when I did catch it. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming over. You're welcome. This afternoon, we've been planning this for a while and I have to figure out my kid's schedule for tonight. And then uh, I'll figure out what... I will text him. You can text his daughter, you know. Find her on on uh, Roblox. All right. Yeah, I'll let you know what time we're going to start tomorrow. Okay, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Good. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.